In part one, Kaiser taught us the importance of looking at the process behind a numerical finding. And today, we'll continue with part two on how to cultivate number sense. Kaiser, do you think algorithms are the answer? And when you're looking at a numerical finding, how do you know what questions to ask? So I, I think, I mean, they are obviously a, a big part of questions that you could ask, but I think that the most important question not asked out there is the question of accuracy. And the and, and I've always been struck, and I've, I've, I keep mentioning to my blog readers this, is that if you open up any of the articles that are written up, whether it's the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, all these places have big data articles, and they talk about algorithms, they talk about predictive models and so on, but you can never find a quantified statement about the accuracy of these algorithms. They would all qualitatively tell you that they are all amazing and wonderful, you know, and, and, and really it all starts with understanding accuracy. In the, in the number sense book, I address this with the, the target example of the pregnancy models. But also in my previous book, I talk about it in the, in this, in the, in the whole uh, thing around steroids and also lie detector testing because it's all kind of the same type of framework. It's really all about understanding the multiple different ways of measuring accuracy, you know, starting with understanding false positive and false negatives. But really, there are a whole variety of other more useful metrics, and uh, you'll be shocked um, how, uh, how badly these algorithms are. And I mean, it's not that, like from a statistical perspective, they are, they are pretty good. I mean, I try to explain that to people too. It's not that we're all kind of snake oil artists that we, we, these algorithms do not work at all. I mean, usually they work if you were to compare with not using the algorithm at all. So you actually have incremental improvements and sometimes pretty good improvements over the case of not using an algorithm. Now, however, if the case of not using an algorithm leads to, let's say, 10% accuracy, and now you have 30% accuracy, you would you'd be three times better. However, 30% accuracy still means that 70% of the time you got the wrong thing, right? So there's, there's, there's an absolute relative measurement here that's important. So once you get into that whole area, it's, it's very fascinating because usually the algorithms also do not really make decisions and there are specific decision rules that are in place. Because oftentimes the algorithms, algorithms only calculate a probability of something. So by analogy, the algorithm might tell you there's a 40% chance of raining tomorrow, but somebody has to create a decision rule that says that based on, I mean, I'm going to carry umbrella if it's over 60%. I won't if I do not, right? So there's all this other stuff involved. And then you have to also understand the soft side of this, which is the incentives of the various parties to either go one way or the other way. And the algorithm ultimately reflects the designers. Because the algorithm will not make that determination of whether you should bring an umbrella 60, you know, if it's over 
or under 50 percent. All we can tell you is that for today it's 40 percent. So I think this notion that the algorithm itself is running on its own, it's false anyway. And then, and so once you have human input into these algorithms, then you have also have to wonder about what the humans are doing. And I think in a lot of these books, I try to point out that what also complicates it is that in every case, including the case of Target, there will be different people coming from different angles where they are trying to optimize objectives that are conflicting. That's the beginning of this, you know, that, that's sort of asking the question of the output. And I think if we, we start doing that more, you know, we, have, we can avoid some of this, you know, I think a very relevant current situation that is relevant to our conversation here is this whole collapse of this Theranos company. As you, I'm not sure if you guys have been following that. Right, it's an example of somebody who's been selling this algorithm. Well, a lot of people have not been asking for quantifiable results. The people who have been asking for quantifiable results have been basically pushed back and, you know, they they refused all this time to present anything. And then, you know, at this point, I think it's been acknowledged that it's all empty and it's a hot air. Right. You had some funny comments on, I think it was on your blog about, and this is related to these algorithms, about, I guess, buying shoes on the web, on, on I don't know, one of the websites, and you were always saying, well, they were coming up with recommendations for other types of items that they thought you would be interested in, and what you really wanted was to go into the um, the website, and at least when you went to buy the shoe, they would take you right to your the shoe size that you have ordered in the past or the color that you have ordered. Right, right, yes. And it would be the, the simple, obvious thing to do instead of trying to come up with an algorithm to figure out what you might like and making suggestions. Yes. So I think there are many ways to think about that. Part of it is it's, it's that oftentimes the most unsexy problems are the most impactful, but people tend to focus on the more sexy problems. So the, in, in that particular case, I, I mean, I have a whole article written about this, but, but the, the idea is that what makes prediction inaccurate is not just the algorithm being bad. I mean, algorithms are oftentimes actually not bad. Um, mm -hmm. It is that the underlying phenomenon that you are predicting is highly variable. Right. I mean, I love to use example, examples like movies. It's, you know, since movie ratings was really big some time ago. So how you rate a movie is not some kind of constant. It depends on the mood, it depends on what you did earlier, it depends on who you're with, you know, it depends on so many things. And if you pair the same person and movie and under different settings, you probably gave different ratings. So in, in that sense, it is very difficult for an algorithm to really predict, you know, how you're going to rate the movie. What I was pointing out is that there are a lot of other types of things that um, the algorithms could predict that have a essentially, I call it invariable nature of property. And a great example of that is the, the fact that 
almost always. I mean, it's like it's still not 100 percent, but 90 percent of the time you're buying stuff for yourself. Therefore, you have certain shirt sizes, shoe sizes, and so on. And and therefore, it would seem reasonable that they should just show you the things that that is appropriate for you. Um, and and that's a it's not a very sexy type of prediction, but it is a kind of prediction. And there are many, many other situations like that. If you just think about just even using your email software, there are certain things that you click on every single time you lock in because, you know, the way it's designed is not quite the way you use it. So we have all the data available. They're measuring all this behavior. It could very well be predicted. <laughs> you know, I mean, like everybody who has done the same series of clicks every time you go to a third website will understand what I mean. <laughs> Join us next week as Kaiser shares his last pro tip on cultivating number sense.